The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of the Belmont Media Center or the Town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Welcome to the Hopeless Fancast, the podcast that loves fans as much as fans love pop culture. I'm your host, Eileen Maxson. Before you listen to our show, be pre-warned. There will be spoilers. For our very first episode, I will be talking about Twin Peaks with my guest, Jesse, an electronic musician and a Twin Peaks fan. Hi, Jesse. Hi, Eileen. How's it going? It's going good. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing great. I'm excited to be here. Excellent. We're excited to have you. So awesome. I'll get started with the question that I ask everybody, and that is, what do you love about Twin Peaks? Oh, man. Um, <laughs> I. <laughs> it's a loaded question, but I really like the entire eeriness and the vibe of the whole fact that when, when you start off watching the show, it's never really it never really feels like your conventional storytelling. Like it, it starts off that way and then it just keeps diverting your expectations on every turn. And the, the just the uh, the introduction of the show for me was just like seeing this clip of the giant saying it is happening again on a stage <laughs> with no context, by the way, this is years ago. And uh, when I started watching the show, I was kind of like waiting for those moments to happen because I sort of had that prefix. And uh, when I got into watching it, I realized like how much of the weird surreal things mixed in with this kind of almost soap opera show. Um, <laughs> I, what I that, that that was what I loved about it, that that whole weirdness to it. And uh, then I, of course, realized David Lynch was behind it. And it, then it all made sense. Right, <laughs> um, right. So what I love about Twin Peaks is that it can not only be you know, a 90s melodrama, but also a really, really weird, surreal trip. Yeah, that is, that is something that that is so different, too, about Twin Peaks, because there really isn't any other TV show that's ever managed to do that in quite the same way. Yeah, um, absolutely. How, you know, it's you, you see these things happening and it just completely throws you for a loop. Um, yeah. And also it, it has entered pop culture that way, because like you said, you saw the giant doing, you know, his line on an empty stage there's yeah. you get a lot of callbacks and things like the simpsons uh there was that yeah. episode where mr burns got shot and uh chief wiggum is having a dream and in the dream you have lisa simpson dancing you know in the black lodge basically and then talking right. backwards so oh my gosh. Yeah, yeah yeah so it really it, it really has made it has its stamp on pop culture from then on which is really impressive yeah. um what's, so, what's amazing is to go back sorry I, no go ahead just what's amazing is to go back and you, uh, you know, you look at some of these old uh, CBS promos and some of what what it was like when the show was going on on its first airing. I mean, I'm I'm still very young. I wasn't around for that. So when when I'm seeing like how it really took the world by storm, how amazing it was when it first came out, it's just funny to think that the same impact that it had when it first came out, it uh, sort of had the same thing when the new season came out this year. Right, right. So Wait. like I like that the fandom never died even after 25 years. That's true. Well, you can just imagine what it must have been like at the beginning. Because you're like, okay, yeah, it's a it's a police procedural. We've seen this before. And yeah. then, like right at the beginning, you know, you start having things like the uh, the fish that somehow got into the coffee maker. Yeah. It's like how how did that even happen? And they don't those, explain those, it at all. Those little one off lines too are like also what makes like Twin Peaks. Twin Peaks. It's yeah. just the weird, weird jokes like that. It's funny, and that those are the things that people remember years later. <laughs> it's true, exactly. It's like, you know, yeah, this was the the regular storyline, but no, it's totally about the fish and about yeah, yeah, all these little weird details. Yeah, exactly. So who's your favorite character in the series? It's such a loaded question. There's so many. <laughs> There's so many. I, I like, it's almost my like with any other show, it's such a straightforward question, but with this one, it's like, God, like, who do I like? Like, of course, like the, the main character 
characters or like the weird surreal uh what do you what do you call them? the doug pod the spirits of, of twin peaks right right uh, of course with bob and the man from another place you know when i when i first watched it i wanted to say the man from another place was my favorite character i just loved his weird backwards talking it, it kind of made me want to learn backwards talking a little bit well you know the story that that actor actually you, used to do that like, yes yes in, in middle school it was an inside joke with him and his friends or yes. something and yeah she's yeah. like can you talk backwards and he's like oh boy can i <laughs> <laughs> yes, I can. Yes. So when uh, when Twin Peaks was uh, slated to return, fandom basically went crazy. What What's the line? That chewing gum that you like is coming back in yeah. style. Yes. Like, you know, Twitter basically exploded with like that line. You know what it was when it was first announced? I think it was 2015. Mm-hmm. And uh, we had little little to no information other than that it was coming back. There's no production stills. There was no official right. artwork. So everything for a long time was just fan-made stuff. And I saw some really good fan-made stuff. There's stuff of like the owl you know the owls might not be what they seem that uh-huh, whole thing cool. and uh, it was like a it was like a really cool uh, photograph of an owl over um over twin peaks over the the waterfalls in front of the great northern and nice. uh it was really interesting how how involved the fans got when the new season was announced i personally was really excited because i was like oh my god like i feel lucky that i only had to wait like a year having just watched the second season right i i was like dang all right i guess it you know i guess i picked the right time to be a twin peaks fan but yeah I, I remember for such a long time the uh, the information on this new season was so scarce it just kept people wanting more and it was kind of like the mystery of the whole thing and I and I, I appreciate that that's what they kind of did with this new season as well with the advertising for it they did not spoil anything Lynch was so like you can't talk about the show you know he, he would he would tell the actors like what they can and can't talk about on talk shows and I think even when they got on the talk shows half of the things was like well uh, I guess you'll have to find out and see that was their <laughs> answer for everything and I like that I like keeping the mystery alive. That's kind of the whole point of the show itself. Well, it's interesting that that Lynch and Mark Frost kind of have a different view on that. That like, you know, as the return came to a close, Mark Frost was basically out there giving all of these answers, right? And Lynch, you know, you ask him about it and he's like, well... Yeah. Yeah, you, you can basically well, make your own decision as to what that means. Exactly. Well, I also, that yeah, like you said, it's it's the difference between Frost and Lynch. But Lynch does that. If you had known, seen him in any interviews ever, he's done that with all of his projects. He, right. He just doesn't like talking about them. He's explained on a, I forget the show it was, just an old talk show he was on. He was explaining that, like, I go ahead and I make a movie, and then you <laughs> want me to talk about the movie? The movie's <laughs> supposed to do the talking. It's like he, he gets, like, upset about it. So I'm like, oh, okay. Okay. All right. He's, he's just a true artist here, I guess. Yeah. Right, right. Well, it's the whole surreality thing, too, that, you know, it's yeah. one of the most important aspects of it is that it's it's so different depending on who sees it. Yeah. So so I, I kind of, you know, I respect him for that. I respect him for like, you know, hey, this is what I'm putting out. And then a lot of what's important is what the audience is putting into it. Exactly. So yeah. let's move to talk about the new season. Um, Absolutely. So what, what was your favorite moment of the new season? Oh, man, I, I'm going to have to go with that episode eight episode oh eight was amazing <laughs> I, you know it's the only one i really watched more than once i went back and i watched it like several times i, I still haven't given the third season a rewatch yet uh, mm. besides when it was first airing so i'm definitely going to go ahead and do that soon especially now that the blu-ray is out with all the uh, six hours of special features right but that was my favorite part of this third season that whole episode oh my goodness that was amazing it was pure cinema it was beautiful it was amazing it definitely it reminded me a lot of stanley kubrick yes. uh, in a lot of parts you know i mean there's the whole the whole bit of how bob came to be and how laura came to be and everything right. um and then you know it's all kind of couched in this episode where you also have a music video by nine inch nails basically right um, that, which starts off the episode which i love if you uh, see on nine inch nails's official channel when they uploaded that clip from the show mm-hmm. they included the ending part with evil cooper so it almost feels like e- evil cooper is a part of the nine inch nails universe nice <laughs> <laughs> I definitely which, which is so fitting honestly yeah I definitely believe that Evil Cooper definitely exists yeah. in the Nine Inch Nails universe yeah if, yeah it- if, if not, I'd love to see a, just an album cover or mock-up album cover with him on it. <laughs> right. That would be awesome. Yeah. 
that episode had some of the the characters that that I really loved, um, mm-hmm. and that being they're credited as the Woodsmen. Yes. Um, yes. And what uh, what my husband and I actually, when we were watching the series, what we wa- we started calling them was the Irradiated Hobos. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's close to what I actually called. I called them the Soot Hobos. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> and they're they're so strange and they're so compelling that they're these these malevolent forces that are also you know completely surreal and supernatural and they are kind of those things that you know they show up they do something weird and they leave which is very much Twin Peaks yeah exactly they, they fit into the universe uh, perfectly and you know what I like is that uh, it feels like Lynch is also borrowing not only from the Fire Walk With Me mm-hmm. woodsman because there was there was a woodsman in the Fire Walk With Me film when right. it shows it, when they're above the convenience store and it shows all of the Black Lodge spirits it's not just Bob and the man from another place in the giant now it's like all of the guys like there's uh i i can't remember there's the what was it the jumping man right and and yes there was a woodsman but i, I like what lynch is kind of doing because i feel like he's taking elements from that and almost his other films like mahalan drive because there was that really creepy hobo that was uh behind the dumpster in that diner i don't know if you've ever seen mahalan drive i have not actually and i definitely need to but yes so there's a there's a woodsman type character in it yes well, well, well that's what i was getting to is because it feels like he's combining the elements because he's had the woodsman, of course, with the beard and the, the lumberjack getup, but right. he also painted him completely black. Right. And that was something that he did already with this weird hobo character in Mulholland Drive. Gotcha. Uh, it scares the hell out of me every time I watch the scene. <laughs> but uh, the, it's this literally, uh, I think that it is this old woman that yeah, Lynch must have known as this actress. And they painted her black and they put like granola in her hair. Oh and my just gosh. made her look like this creepy witch. But I definitely got uh, Mulholland Drive vibes from the woodsman's character design. <laughs> wow. That's really creepy yeah oh man it, it, it and that's kind of what I, I was like kind of afraid of i was like oh no is twin peaks gonna be that new lynch thing that just scares me too much to watch it and right, luckily right. it wasn't it was it was oddly like compelling because the scenes that he did with the woodsman never really felt like they were scary like a pop out like surprised you scary more just right. like a really slow burn of like oh what am i looking at yeah and, like, that's the kind of horror that i can actually get into i don't i don't like like the scary pop out stuff I, I love the building and brooding to this creepy atmosphere yeah so definitely. the woodsmen were such a big part of, yeah it was such a huge part of this uh, season I, I and i loved it i actually got to meet the actor who uh, plays oh. the main woodsman the guy who looks oh, cool. like abe lincoln yeah, Robert yeah. Kursky. The one he's, with the cigarette who asks people if they have a light. Yes. Yeah. Okay. He's so kind. He was at the Twin Peaks pop-up shop in uh, in Los Angeles. Oh, cool. And I, he was just like, like him and a bunch of the other actors were just chilling online and like saying hi to fans. And God, he is so tall. <laughs> <laughs> he, you know, he like I said, he's an Abraham Lincoln impersonator. So I, oh. I guess I didn't put it past him. So he's like, actually, he, went, he, he actually does that. Like he, he does. Yeah, oh my he, gosh. Like on his, other than Twin Peaks, like the only other things on his IMDb are like being Abe Lincoln and different things. <laughs> so, That's amazing. Yeah. I, I'm wonder, I really wonder the story of like how he met David Lynch. It's very interesting. He, Lynch knows how to pick him. That's for sure. Yes, he does. You can expect him to go after, you know, okay, I need somebody who has this really rugged look. Let's yeah. look at people who impersonate Abraham Lincoln. Yeah, yeah. that's great. I can imagine. It's like, I, I need someone that looks like Abe Lincoln. <laughs> Call up all the Abe Lincoln impersonators in Los Angeles. Perfect. Like, I could see like it just, just without any context, him asking for that. And then his like casting director going like, uh, all right, without any, <laughs> like, asking any questions. That's what I love about this new season as well is that like, I think Showtime literally gave into all of Lynch's demands. Yes. Like, for the most part. And yes. I think that's why the series was able to be so ridiculous. Like or this in a good way, like this season was was not catering. It was not like, oh, show the network pressure. Because like apparently there was some of that in the original run, believe it or not. There was the the pressure to reveal who killed Laura Palmer. Oh my uh, gosh. Lynch never Lynch never wanted to do that to begin with. So it almost feels like the series we got for this third season was completely unfiltered Lynch. Like, like completely what he wanted to put on the screen. Yeah. Which is which is amazing because that's one of the the great things about this series as opposed to the original two seasons is that it's you know he really just went full out all for it all the metaphysical surreal stuff you know he was able to go in with like all the sex and violence uh, mm-hmm. that you know had to be all kind of under the table when it got to the the first two series uh, two seasons right. so exactly. so yeah so it, it it was able to be more Twin Peaks than the original Twin Peaks exactly. And uh, not only not to mention the uh, the idea that um, Lynch, I, I, I have a feeling like the reason why Twin Peaks was so uh, almost like parody of a soap opera 
in the from the original uh-huh. was also a sign of the times a little bit. And I think Lynch was being topical with that. Right. I understand like, yeah, like, like, sure, there was like drama shows that weren't soap operas, but I definitely think that was at like probably the height of like of those kind of programs. And like maybe for the 90s, that didn't really seem so kind of silly. I think now there's some parts of it where like the music plays in and like the characters have an over the top cry. Like, <laughs> right. Like, there's, <laughs> there's there's some of that in the third season, but I definitely feel like a lot of that was a product of the times. And uh, not only only is Lynch, you know, giving the third season everything he's got, but I feel like it almost shows how creepy Twin Peaks really is without all those like silly moments. Like right. how how much the town like if you when you actually you know get rid of the superficial like soap opera kind of editing and music like Twin Peaks is really weird. It's true. <laughs> and uh, I like that you know the original was juxtaposed with all those scenes with like the you know the the drama and there is still some of that in this new season. But you feel like when there's no music, there's no Laura Palmer theme and like you know sappy piano. Like mm-hmm. how like weird all this is. How it's like true. what? I, I love that Lynch was able to really pull those uh, punches with this third season. Right. He really. He really did it well. It's interesting how I was watching a YouTube video recently about how a lot of it is commentary on kind of the 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 more difficult parts of life, basically. Sure. And that, you know, yeah. way back when, you know, in the be- beginning of the 90s, you have how people are very kind of superficial. And then you have all of this stuff that's going on behind the scenes you know, kind of getting to the dark underbelly of things Um, and how that is kind of the same thing that's going on in the new series, but that kind of the feel of it and what that dark underbelly is has evolved Mm. Uh, as far as the more modern day where the, the mill is closed and there's all this, these problems with drugs and with suicide and whatnot, which makes the, uh, what's happening with the, the normal people in Twin Peaks really interesting. Right. Which that's that's what the roadhouse scenes, right? Yes. And then seeing like Shelly and Bobby and how their lives have changed in some ways and then not changed in others. Right. Absolutely. With Shelly, with her her attraction to bad boys. Seems right. Right. She's kind of outgrew Bobby. I mean, like she's she's with another Leo, basically. Like, right. And that guy, that guy's interesting, actually, that character. Red. Um, yeah, yes. I, I, I wanted to see more of, of, of him. I wanted to see some sort of resolution with that. There was a lot of like loose ends that never got tied up with this third season. Right. It's true. There there are just major questions that that are kind of outstanding from. Yeah. From everything that, you know, Lynch just doesn't give us all of the answers. Right. Would I that that's almost where I, I kind of want to at least give him a fair critique here because I, I understand when he wants to keep certain things a mystery with the surreal things, with the mystery of Laura Palmer, with the mystery of, you know, the Black Lodge and all the spiritual things, because mm-hmm. that's such a interpretive thing. But when you have simple plot points that you introduce and never like deliver upon, I can only think he got a little lazy or he forgot about it or like I don't know. I, I almost wish he never opened a door that was just gonna keep it open. Like some things I understand are good for the mystery. It keeps people talking about the show. Like, what happened to this? What happened to that? Right, but right. I have to at least put my foot down when it comes to things like, why didn't you explain what happened to, to the Bobby Shelley Red situation? Why didn't right. you know? Why didn't we ever see the last of of uh, Becky? You know what I heard? Like when we, we see that scene with Steve in the forest. You know, I don't want to get into right. spoilers. There's a, there was a lot of people that assume that he had just like murdered his girlfriend, and people thought Becky was gone because we never saw the last of her. And it was only right. recently in a Mark Frost AMA where he actually put to rest that theory, like, no, Becky's alive. Why are you thinking this? And, like, you you know, the reason why people start to go there and they start making up all these theories is because they just didn't give us enough to chew on. They're like, the last scene was so, like, unfinished. And I, don't, I would have almost thought Lynch would have learned his lesson with the end of season two with the, how's Annie? How's Annie? <laughs> like, why are we doing that again, you know? <laughs> like, well, 25 years later. Yeah, know. well, I mean, at the, the end of season two, I'm pretty sure that he was certain that there was going to be a season three. And then it was kind of canceled at the last minute so so yeah so I think it's a little different you know in that yeah. I don't think that he did the the end of, the, of this series thinking that he's going to do a season four which you know that question's kind of been out there of you know is there going to be a season four if there is a season four what's going to be in season four considering that season three and don't worry at all about spoilers we're going to spoil everything okay um, okay, spoiler warning, spoiler, spoiler warning. Spoiler alert. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> all the spoilers all the time. 
Um, <laughs> yeah, so considering that the end of season three basically Oh, yeah. It changed. retconned the whole show. Exactly. It retconned the entire show. So what would they do in a season four? Right. And that's a very good question because when I when I finished watching it and it ended the way it did, you know, I looked over to my friend and he's just like, there's got to be a season four. <laughs> I looked at him like, you think David Lynch made this season with the intention of, of leaving it on another cliffhanger? And then he looks at me and goes, yes, we've oh been my lynched. God. <laughs> <laughs> it was the funniest night because I remember just being so like, what? And my friend was like, we were lynched. We've yeah. been lynched. <laughs> that was just the comment. That was the phrase of the night. I was dying. That was like, it was so funny and, and frustrating and sad all at the same time. Right, right. But like, but yeah, you know, for a season four, that's a really good point. What would it be about? You know, a lot of what I'd, I'd hope is like, you know, how this season has been a lot of like vignettes into the current day of Twin Peaks, the citizens of Twin Peaks' lives, the people that we saw 25 years later. Mm -hmm. Sorry, just that we saw 25 years ago, all grown up now and right. uh, with families and children and, uh, you know, what's happening with the double R and like the sawmills gone and Benjamin Horn is still at it again with his young secretaries. And, right, like, right. It's just so weird when I'm when I'm like thinking for a season four of like what that source material could be. I, it, it would probably be more of that, just more more peering into the people's lives. Maybe so much of the people that we haven't seen yet, because there are some characters that I think they left out on purpose. I don't know, but like like season three ended, going into spoilers again. They answered the door, hoping to see Sarah Palmer. And they saw the Tremonts, or like a woman who claimed to be a Tremont. Right. I'm wondering, you know, what's going to happen with the Tremonts. We didn't really see too much of them. You know, the little boy with the mask on who looks kind of like a miniature David Lynch. Right. Uh, who was actually played by his son in the original series. Oh, really? Yeah. Not in the Fire Walk with me, but in the original show, the kid was his, his son. The kid who was the uh, the child of the grandmother or the yes. grandson? Yes. The guy, the guy's like, things can happen. And he snaps his fingers just like that. And then there's like cream corn in her yes. hands. That's so weird. That's so also weird. like one of those scenes that I that I watch. And I uh -huh. think it like and this is this is like really putting it up there because like there are so many there's so many creepy scenes in the whole franchise now, especially with the third season. Right. But it was that scene that I think creeped me out the absolute most was was Donna like being a Meals on Wheels person being very good and bringing the elderly food and then just being in this situation now where it's just like I didn't order any creamed corn and then <laughs> looks down at the plate and she's like sees the creamed corn and she's like you know like kind of feeling like oh I'm sorry and then she points to it again and she looks down and it's gone and I'm like what and the kid <laughs> has it in his hands Oh, ooh. Uh, it freaks me out. It still freaks me out. It's like one of those things where, like, how can you have a series that has really cheesy, sappy moments with, like, love love music and then that scene? Like, yeah. There's no other show like it. There's <laughs> no other show like it. Well, there's a lot of tone whiplash, basically, where, you know, yeah. you have, and they do this a lot in the original series, that you have all this happy music when there are things going on that are really terrifying. So right. that, that kind of juxtaposition makes the terrifying more terrifying somehow. Exactly. And, and uh, it almost feels like these things have been reversed in season three because the whole juxtaposition in the first two seasons was kind of like that most of the show is like sappy melodrama on purpose. And then out of nowhere, the music yes. changes and there's some, <laughs> like, you know, portal to another dimension. Open. Well, you know, like, I guess that's more season three, but, you know, like weird, weird, surreal things. Cooper has the dream, you know, someone dies, whatever. Right, right. In this third season, it almost feels like it's more dark. And then the light moments are the juxtapositions. It's <laughs> because, true. Because, like, it's so backwards. It's so weird. It feels like the show is just more upsetting than it is fun. It's and, true. And uh, honestly... I, I know a lot of people that are very divided about that. Like they kind of there's something lost from the original series in the third season. I personally think the third season is, if not better than the original. I think that there are things about the third season that they do so much better. But at the same time, there you, you can't knock the first season. It's so good. It's I think good. a lot of people hate the second season because it goes on for too long, at least after episode eight. But... Right. Well, at some point, uh, David Lynch actually left the show, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Yeah, yeah, I think that, and I get the sense, and I might be wrong, but I get the sense that it was because they wanted Twin Peaks to kind of go more in the, you know, this is a police procedural sort of direction. 
Oh, yeah. Um, and, and then, and, you know. And having answered the, the chilling question, who killed Laura Palmer, right. probably felt like, well, what's the point of my show anymore? Exactly. I wasn't even intending on answering that question. So what do you want me to do now? Yeah. Yeah. And then they try to make it, you know, they try to bring in new mystery and whatnot. It's like, no, that. Yeah. Yeah. Anything, any subplot, like, like everyone always makes fun of the James subplot with uh-huh. the, the old, older lady that he like runs away with and like. She tries to kill him or something. Right. It was so lame. It was so like, what am I watching? Like James, the show. I don't think many people want that. He's he's right. not exactly a fan favorite character, which like I like James. But like there's that in, in the roadhouse scene in the third season when he's actually up on stage singing you and I. Yes. I love that. I was like, <laughs> yes, but I but I went, I, you know, I read the forums every night when the show was airing. So I can kind of like see all the speculation again. Like it's, you know, it's all the, right. it's the 90s all over again. People always speculate. I remember the forums blew up that night when James was <laughs> was singing. With it was so divided, people were like, "What the hell? This is terrible. This is the worst thing." And like, why would they do this? Lynch is trolling us. And then like, there's the people there like, "Oh, this was so great. I don't know what you guys are talking about." <laughs> and I'm definitely on the "This was so great" bandwagon because I I love that. I I, I love that uh, Lynch can even laugh at himself sometimes with those scenes where it's like even the even the parts that are like so divisive amongst the Twin Peaks fans like. The James thing. Right. I feel like Lynch doesn't even mind like throwing that in the third season. Like that's so great. Yeah. Well, all the stuff that he did at the Roadhouse is actually really interesting. One of the things that my husband and I noticed was that he has a thing for limp, breathy women. <laughs> limp, <laughs> limp, breathy, breathy women. women. You know, very, very skinny, singing very quietly and stuff like that. Oh, you're, um, so you're talking about the Chromatics now? Uh, the Chromatics? The the band that played for the first episode oh, or the second episode, the, okay. the blonde girl. Yes. Well, there, she kind of reminded me of a bands. young Julie Cruz a little bit. Yeah. Well, there are a couple of bands that were, you know, fronted by women who had this kind of, you know, that had that kind of look. And yeah. apparently he's actually fairly fond of that kind of band and that kind yeah. of look. So. So it was interesting of, you know, okay, okay, we're at the Roadhouse again. And wow, here are the limp, breathy women. Yeah. Um, But the music that he uses in the Roadhouse is really interesting, I think. Right. Um, I I agree. Yeah. And how in a lot of times he, he closes out the episode with that. And it's kind of an interesting way to kind of like reflect on like, okay, well, what's happened and where are we now? Um, yeah, there's a there. That, that's a very good point. And I, I loved every almost every Roadhouse performance. Actually, I don't think there was one I didn't like. It was such a great way to introduce people to new uh, musical talent and also like kind of close out the episode, like you were saying, and make you reflect on what you had just watched. And it was great. It introduced me to so many new artists I didn't really remember. I didn't even realize this, but uh, the Chromatics, who they performed at the Roadhouse a few times during that season, they're, I was going to mention uh, them by names. I can't remember their names now. I know Johnny Jewell did a lot of the, the music for just the background music in this season as well. Okay. But uh, the, something that I never realized was the band Chromatics did the music for the film Drive oh. with Ryan Gosling. Oh, cool. And, and also Ryan Gosling's own directorial debut film, Lost River, which I, I still haven't watched, but Chromatics did the soundtrack for I kind of like that they they have this 80s synth sound at the same time and it works for Twin Peaks for some reason and they they kind of combine it with that sort of like uh what do you call it like that Elvis Presley doo-wop kind of love love ballads a little bit like old 50s love ballads right maybe not right. Elvis Presley but but they they kind of do that that sound that fits so perfectly with Twin Peaks. Yeah. So I, I I think Lynch really picked them good for this Roadhouse uh, musical performance enders. They're all really good. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting that in the original Twin Peaks, like a lot of the the music had a very kind of fifties feel to it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, That's so what I, mean when I said like do I like fifties right, fifties right. love ballads. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting how now kind of the, the throwback is kind of more of an 80s sound, you know, the, right. the synthesizers and whatnot. Right. Absolutely. There's 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 a lot of that. But I, I almost th- feel like uh, it doesn't lend itself to just one style as well, because, God, there's so many different types of songs that were performed. If you remember the scene, I think like one of the craziest, uh, the, the musical performance also being like cut between like a scene like that worked really good was the, God, I remember the name of the band, but they, they did the song that 
it was kind of like a rap song almost. It was weird. I don't know how to say it. It, it was produced by LP. He's a rapper. I, I don't remember the anyway. It ended with like a, a girl on the on the floor of the roadhouse like screaming. Yes. Yes. That was one of my favorite scenes of this entire series, and like the music just played it out really well. And then we and then we cut to the weird, creepy. Uh, what what do you call it? The above the convenience store. You know that. And like uh, there's that weird man dressed up like a woman. Yes. And Cooper's looking for um, for David Bowie's character. What's it? Right. Uh, uh, Philip Jeffries. Yeah. Yeah. So I, 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 there was like all these things happening and then it closes out with this like terrifying song. Right. And uh, it even cuts to the end credits. And like I, I had chills going down my spine. I was like, dang, like, okay, there, <laughs> it, it, it's been a while since a TV series made me feel that way. So I think the Roadhouse music scenes are such a great way to close out an episode. It was really smart of Lynch to do that because it not only does does wonders for suspense and filmmaking, but it also gives all of these artists a platform to share their music on. Right. And the Roadhouse itself kind of strikes me as like in the mythos, it kind of strikes me as like a liminal space. So somewhere that's like yeah. right on the edge between kind of the, the you know, the more mundane part of... Uh, of the world, and then the supernatural part. Because we, we have instances in the original where, you know, Cooper has these visions in the roadhouse. And right. then there are also times when the roadhouse looks like the uh, the Black Lodge with the, right. the, uh, the curtains and everything. So I think it's that too, and then integrating that with the music. It, it's it's a really interesting kind of place that's right on the edge there between kind of the the uh, normal world and the supernatural world. Yeah, and it's funny that you say that because there's a lot of fans that theorize about this. Some of the Roadhouse performances not even have happened, like in reality. Huh. Like everyone, and I don't know if this is wishful thinking on the uh, James haters here, but a lot of people don't think that he actually performed you and I at the Roadhouse. They think that was like a dream sequence. Oh, really? Yeah, and I, I thought that was kind of interesting how they, they went right for that, like uh, thinking like, well, why would James be performing at the Roadhouse? Feels feels like a dream. Right. And I, I, it, it is a good point you bring up with the red curtains also that also being a part of the Black Lodge. Right. Um, that the Roadhouse is sort of a weird uh, medium between the real world and the spiritual one. Which, you know, makes it particularly interesting that that's where the the subplot uh, with Audrey ends up. Yes. Right? That's right. That's like her kind of final, well, second to final, second uh, to final. scene we see. Right. Her, which, so, yeah. yeah. So what did you think about yeah. the, the Audrey storyline? Oh, gosh. You know, I, uh, I'll i be honest with you. Like, I didn't hate it as much as most people did, but I can definitely see for all the Audrey fans out there. It was such a disappointment. It's people true. were looking forward to seeing this character. She was one of the biggest parts of the original series, her seductive nature and her jazzy theme that went with everywhere she went. She was so cool. I think people wanted to be her. People liked her. And right. uh, the Audrey that we saw in the third season was everything but that. She was a like almost, I want to say, a uh, an out-of-touch kind of like crazy person right. who's yelling at her husband. And like the way the husband is talking to her, it's like she does this every day, like she's lost her mind. Right. And it's almost kind of sad, but a lot of people interpreted it in different ways. They thought, oh, maybe what Audrey was doing there was like a, was almost like a play, like we're watching her act because it, it felt like weirdly uh weirdly unreal like uh, out of all the things in the series it felt like what what am i watching like why is she so angry at this man this little man like right, uh, right. um you know and she's like talking about billy or something and we were trying to kind of figure out who is billy and people are theorizing oh was billy the drunk in the in the jail right now at the sheriff's right. department right who's billy and and uh, yeah, like we we never really got an Audrey scene until, of course, when they show up to the roadhouse and she does the Audrey's dance, which was, I think, very good fan service right there because she literally got to perform her dance in front of people. But then right. when we sort of see that reality starting to shatter apart and that it was not actually happening to begin with, and then she grabs hold of her husband and says, like, help me get out of here. And then we see where she really is. That was the first part of the Audrey parts that actually started to get interesting. And then we didn't get anything after that. Exactly. It's like, it's like we it's like we got the worst of the Audrey scenes and then like ended on the best part. Like 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I was really hoping to see, like, what is she, like, is she in a straitjacket and a mental asylum? Was that what that looked like? I couldn't tell. I, it was honestly the weird, one of the weirdest shots in this whole season, like just a white room. You didn't really see any white rooms in the season. Right. Well, I think that's one of the things that Mark Frost talked about later that, you know, yeah, she was in, you know, a private mental institution. She's like, right. well, okay, but there's story there that I think everybody is interested in. Um, certainly right. all the, the Twin Peaks fans from the original series, they definitely could have done a lot more with that. Uh, absolutely. And I and I felt, you know, I, I'm not the biggest Audrey fan, so I didn't really feel as bad, but I felt so bad for all of the Audrey fans out there who really wanted to see more, more scenes with her. I, I right. do like, however, that they did, you know, make her have a bit of a legacy with her son, Richard right. Horn. Right. Because everyone was theorizing when they saw the credits of him as Richard Horn, they're like, they're like immediately going to like all these crazy theories like, oh, my God, is he the the rape love child of Evil Cooper and, and Audrey? Did, did when Evil Cooper visited Audrey in the hospital, did he rape her? And then Richard Horn is the result of that. And I was like, geez, I didn't even think about that. Right. Um, <laughs> that's terrible. Um, and then it actually turns out to be true. And I was it's like, true, oh, yep. that's what the hell? Like People <laughs> were saying that the moment they just read the words Richard Horn. I was like, how did you come to that conclusion? He was only shown in one episode and you read his name in the credits. And like it's you don't put it past Twin Peaks fans. That's all I'm saying. They right. they can they get things like that. I'm like I didn't even think about it. That's why I was reading the Doug Pa forums every night. I was like, all right, what are people theorizing now? Because oh my god, half of those theories were right. Right. Well, it's true. I mean, you know, you get into into Twin Peaks, and sometimes it, it's really either one way or the other. Either you come up with something that is just so off the top bananas. And it's yeah. wrong. Or you come up with something that is so off the top bananas and it's totally right. So, yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> yeah and I, I, what I love is like uh, all the inferences that we might have about the show have probably already been debunked or at least like de discussed with a lot of people. When people were talking about how the, the giant is no longer uh, credited as the giant, he's the fireman. Right. Um, there was also all these things that were starting to come together like, well, hey, did you notice that? The giant in this season, you know, or now we call him the fireman, is wearing a jacket on top of his bow tie. And people were like, well, a lot of people were theorizing this is just a tuxedo jacket. It's just the rest of his outfit. You know, right. that's not so significant. Someone, do, someone already, like, came up with this. It's so interesting. His jacket that he's wearing is actually an old-fashioned smoker's jacket. Huh. It's, it's, it's a very specific type of blazer that men in, like, the 50s or whatever used to wear when they were in, like, a smoking room. Right. And like had like one of those long, you know, you know, those long cigarettes, those really like kind of like pipe ones. Yes. And uh, you look up smokers jackets, the same type of jacket that the fireman's wearing. So I was like, interesting how Lynch kind of like threw these little nods in here. Like, yes, he's wearing a smoker's jacket because he is the fireman. Like, right. Right. Things that actually connect and make sense that like you wouldn't even really thought of little things like that. I, I always find those things so interesting. These kind of visual puns almost. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So one thing that people are kind of divided about is Dougie Jones yes. um, and how much time they spent on Dougie Jones. You mean the whole series? The, yeah, <laughs> the pretty much the whole season. series. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so when I first saw, uh, when I saw it for the first time, for several episodes, I was just like kind of shouting at the TV that, oh, my God, why isn't anybody helping this man? Because yes. it is obvious that something terrible has happened to him. And why doesn't anybody see this and take him to a hospital? That was very frustrating for me. You know, you, uh, you and, and Jeff. Right, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was saying the same thing. He's just like, like why? And like, I'm, I'm sitting there laughing at this like Mr. Magoo situation going right, on. Right, right. Like, I'm like, I'm here for the <laughs> ride. But like, you, you know, you guys have a point. That's so funny. Yeah. That is like, why did no one actually go and like take him to a hospital? I know, right? And uh, for everybody at home, Jeff is my brother-in-law. Um, who is the one who introduced me to Jesse? So that's that's right. That's yes. how we we got this interview. Yep. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, uh, Jeff actually, like when I when I approached him about possibly talking, he's like, I'm not sure that you know, he wasn't quite a fan of it. 
uh, the, uh, the return. It was really sad because he, yeah. him and his, you know, his wife right. and everyone that their friends, we, that's how we bent the first few weeks of this new season. We were like getting together like a group of friends and watching Twin Peaks together, which was such a great experience for me because I never really had that whole like, you know, week to week, like get the buddies together and like watch the next show you're, you're really into. Like I don't have a group of friends like I do that with. Right. So this was this was a really fun experience for me with Jeff um, to do that every week. And I, and I kind of it was really sad, but I kind of noticed with each week it was kind of like taking a toll on Jeff where he's just like, I don't want to watch this anymore. Right. <laughs> like, right. Like it was just like he just didn't really care by the end of it. Like he was kind of just like this isn't like the show he, he liked. And I think that's because Jeff is with the side of fans that kind of liked the more cheekiness with the original series than the creepy surreal dark moments right and uh i i think he's got a good point there because like a lot of people think that is what makes twin peaks twin peaks and when twin peaks changes from that setup it you're gonna lose some fans it's it's, it's inevitable and it really it really shows because i think um jeff is one of the the few exceptions i could say that he knows both david lynch and twin peaks and still didn't like it like that but right. i know some people where it actually makes sense to where you have Twin Peaks fans, and then you have David Lynch fans. And you might see that the overlap isn't so big as you might have thought. Right. Like, there's a lot of people that love Twin Peaks, and then they, like, watch a David Lynch movie, and they're like, ugh, this is nasty. I hate this. <laughs> and, like, that's kind of what, like, this new season was, was, like, David Lynch just being David Lynch with the, his own show. Right. And uh, having not really, you know, juxtaposed with, like, the soap opera drama, the, the police drama. Right. Like, it's... Yeah, it's it's definitely a completely different show in that regard. It's true. Yeah, like my uh, my husband, for instance, he uh, absolutely refuses to watch Eraserhead with me. Absolutely <laughs> refuses. Oh, and man. it's like, okay, you know, I get that. It's, you know, David Lynch really goes all out in Eraserhead. Yeah. Um, but luckily enough, he uh, he also really loves Twin Peaks: The Return. He really loves it. So, oh, that's so good. Yeah, yeah. And so it's it's really been great to kind of connect on the Lynchness of it while yes. we were watching it. But yeah, but Dougie Jones, and it's it's interesting how he's really either you kind of like his storyline or you just really hate his storyline. Right. Um, and I... yeah, and even though I was yelling at the TV for a couple of episodes there, I actually wound up really liking. Dougie Jones. So I did, I did too. I and I that's where I was going with the why I mentioned Jeff because he like a lot of people a lot of people really hated those parts because how unrealistic it felt and how slow it felt. But I definitely think Dougie Jones, you know, was the vessel of the third season. He helped bring along like so many like funny moments, so many like weird weirdly human moments. Like I think David Lynch was almost in a way telling a a very straight up like emotional story and like like many at first I was like, okay, where's where's my Dale Cooper? Where's right. where's Where's Twin Peaks, Dale Cooper? That's what I came to the show for. And uh, we didn't really get that for most of the entire season. And I think that also is what made him coming back and like coming out of the coma such an impactful part of this season. It's true. I just wish they didn't throw the whole thing out the window with the part 18. That really pissed me off. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but at, at, other than that, like I really I really enjoyed um, the Jucky Jones ride. I, I, I think, you know, it kind of it was a little upsetting here and there because it did sort of remind me a lot of my grandfather who happens to have Alzheimer's. It, right. it felt a lot like that, like this man who it's it's almost like this tragic story where like everyone around him is showing all the love and care and treating him like a normal person. But you can clearly see this person is not of a sound mind. He's like really out of it. Right. And uh, I think that Lynch did that purposefully because he wanted this whole season to definitely feel like its own experience. And having the show without Cooper was almost like the smartest thing he could have done for building that sort of that weird story that he wound up telling. Because right. it's also messing with all the fans who are looking at Doug jones and thinking like that's that's dale cooper why doesn't he come up and you know say his coffee line and right you know, there's there's still like parts of that in him so when we do get those little moments like damn fine cup of joe in the elevator scene like that people were like oh there's like he's still in there he's that's still cooper so like i i loved the dougie jones parts i think at the end of the whole thing those were some of the best parts of the whole show especially when he's with the mitchum brothers at their nice like a uh, restaurant and the old lady from the casino scene walks up and goes oh mr jackpots yes. because of you i got my life together my son is in my life again i you know i have a life now and like it right, actually right. made me tear up a little bit i was like oh and then like yeah. of course like having dougie jones coop in this like comatose like just staring there it made the whole scene even like weirder and also strangely like charming yeah 
And yeah. like she gives him like a hug while he's still like in this like stick like pose, and he's like, uh. <laughs> and uh, while all the, all that's happening, we get the Angelo, uh, what is it, Bad Bad, Bad Lamente, I don't know how to say his name, but you know the original composer for Twin Peaks is in this nice restaurant playing the music on the piano, and he oh, plays really? it off. Oh, that's yes, neat. I believe. I believe that was his song. It was called Heartbreaking, but it was one of the few songs that was like, I think it was the only song where he actually closes out the episode himself. Wow. Cool. Um, but that was, that was beautiful. I loved, I loved that scene. Yeah. And, uh, that was, that was, that was a Dougie Jones scene. There were so many great moments in the season that involved Dougie Jones. It's true. Well, one of the interesting things about Dougie Jones is that he, you know, he's going through his life as Coop and not really half aware of what's going on. And yet somehow he manages to like bring such joy to like right. everyone he touches, that which too, is, yeah. is, is a strangely satisfying thing to watch. Yeah. So he makes the, uh, the mobsters happy and, you know, he makes his boss happy and then, you know, he makes his wife happy and his son happy. And that's just, it's really sweet to watch that. My favorite is when the son and him are having a catch and he just throws the baseball and hits him right in the forehead. <laughs> and he's still standing there like a stick. And he's, oh, God, those little moments are really funny. And then and then it all comes together when he, he gets his mind back and he gets out of the hospital and his family sees Cooper. Yes. And his family is basically seeing this man that they like must never have seen. Because from what we understand, I think the best thing for that marriage for Dougie was was him going into that comatose state. Because when we see the actual Dougie Jones at the beginning of uh, the third episode or the second episode, he looks like kind of a, a schlub. He's he's yeah. like cheating on his wife. He's like got this weird haircut and he's just kind of like he, he doesn't seem like 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 the real Dougie Jones before uh, the Cooper version of him came in like that. That was a uh, like a good man. Right. And uh, he kind of like there's all this like, yeah, like you said, like he makes everyone happy in his in his path. And by the end of it, when he gets out of it, Cooper makes a second Dougie to give back to the family so that like they can still, you know, live happily. Right. But that was great. Yeah. Of course. Then there's the question of, well, you know, after what happened in the end of the uh, the series, does that Dougie Jones even exist anymore? Right. Does um, any of it exist? Right. Right. Which a lot of people kind of draw parallels or, or rather find kind of a, a clue in that uh, in that one scene where uh, Dougie is watching his son sitting in the back seat of the car and then his right. son blinks but he blinks backwards you know that you notice there's a lot of that if you watch uh, the scene with uh, Becky and her abusive boyfriend walking out of the double R after uh -huh. uh, Shelly gives Becky the money there's a shot of them in the car and it's like a full a front-on shot if you look in the background the people are walking backwards oh seriously I didn't notice that I'm totally gonna yeah. have to see that it's so weird and like while well, he's counting the money it's wow it's so so bizarre that but yes there are those little scenes where like those little backwards shots that Lynch puts in there and sprinkles in there are right. those supposed to be like a hint to the audience that none of this is real I don't know mm, that's a good point yeah yeah my view of of the uh, the backward blink was that considering that Dougie Jones is a tulpa, then right. you know does that mean that his son is therefore a you know somehow a a, a creature of you know the Black Lodge? Um, right. Well, how would how would his son be a creature of the Black Lodge if he's a, a tulpa? We've seen tulpas interact with regular people. Diane, right. for one. Right. Well, he wouldn't be a tulpa, but he would be. I don't know. I'm not sure. Maybe that Blinking. you know. The backwards movement would exactly. be kind of a right. kind of a, a clue that he's not maybe not entirely human. Uh, that's, considering that's, that's that his father point. isn't really human. So, yeah. I'd have to see the backwards blinking, but from what I understand, even when lodge spirits are in the real world, they move in front motion. That's true. Like Bob walks normally in, in the real world. I think it's only when they're in the Black Lodge do things happen that way or gotcha. they're in the convenience store. Right. But no, that is an interesting theory. There's There are so many interesting theories out there, by the way. I love I love reading about them. I think yeah. that's also what, what keeps the, the show alive is uh, long past its its date. People were still theorizing about the original run. And it's now true. we're going to have this to chew on for the next few years if, if Lynch decides to do the fourth season. It's true. And so even not, like that's... Still, it's still cool to have a show that gives people something to talk about for years to come. It's true. It's so full of things, you know, they, you know, they tied up things that they didn't tie up. That right. definitely is just so much fodder for conversation for a very long time. Yeah, absolutely. So 
Let's talk about the ending. Okay. So uh, I read an article by David Auerbach. Yes, uh, I've read the same one. It's it's a really fantastic article. And I read it, and then I watched the show again. And one of the things about the show is that it, it so re- rewards rewatching. So so when you get the chance to do that, it's, it's really great because you start realizing that there are these aspects to the show that you didn't notice was there at the beginning. But then, you know, by the end, you look back and you're like, oh, okay. So, yeah, in the very first episode, you have the guy with the green glove, you know, right. that you you don't even think about until the end because he's just kind of in in the background. Um, And then you also have all of these scenes with Cooper and with Laura Palmer that are entirely bizarre. But when you kind of have a common thread saying, okay, well, maybe this is what's going on, then it all just kind of falls into place. So the the article, uh, the David Auerbach article, basically, the basic gist is that what happens in the ending is that uh, Cooper, with the help of Gordon Cole, has, and and the other uh, Black Lodge denizens, they've basically constructed a cage in order to capture Judy. Right. And they lure Judy there by uh, Cooper and Diane having very disturbing sex. Right. Um, that that yeah. I liked that David Arbach article because of that. Because yes. I was like, okay, this sex scene is supposed to be really uncomfortable. But what is the significance of it? David Lynch wouldn't just put this there randomly for no reason. Right, and, right. And uh, I liked that that theory was kind of trying to say because there is, and this is going to sound these these two words next to each other, there's a lot of sex magic. Yes. uh, David Lynch. uh, It's true. In in David Lynch films and in like Mark Frost's own uh, like spiritual theories. So it it, it would make sense that it was to lure out some Maleficent spirit like they wouldn't have, you know, done that otherwise. Right, right. And, you know, and we have kind of the forerunner to that with the couple in New York with the glass box that, you know, they have sex there. And then, you know, Judy basically shows up. And, you know, kills them very right. violently. So, so yeah. Uh, so the idea is that they did that in order to lure Judy there into the cage. And then uh, the next morning, Diane has forgotten who she was and instead has become Linda uh, right. from Richard and Linda, which we heard about in the beginning from the fireman. Um, right. And then Cooper remembers who he is. But so so he goes on to find Laura and Laura has been put in. Is it Odessa, Odessa Texas? Yes. Yeah. Uh, which, interestingly enough, has a big rabbit, you know, sculpture as as part of it. Um, oh, yeah. So, I, I don't think that's a coincidence. I no, think definitely not. Picked, picked Odessa for that reason. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. The Jackrabbit Palace goes, you know, along with that. And so he goes, he finds Laura who doesn't remember that she's Laura, but takes her to Twin Peaks uh, because she is basically a bomb, is how they they put it. That she's right. this creature who has all of this stored energy from all of the suffering of her, her upbringing. And then she's taken to Twin Peaks in order to confront uh, Judy, who is either impersonating or, or like living inside of her mother. Right. Um, and then when uh, Judy sees Laura, Laura screams and the lights blow out in the house and everything's blown up and everybody dies. Right. So I, I really like most of this theory, except for the part of every everything blows up and everybody dies. Well, yeah, no one likes that. Yeah. I, <laughs> it's like, and, you know, uh, all I, the other stuff. Yeah. All of this makes makes yeah. a lot of sense. So what are your thoughts on that theory? I, uh, you know, I, I like that theory. I like the, the there's there's things to back it up. There's scenes from earlier in, in this season that back it up. Uh, there are just a few things like like that I don't necessarily agree with. And the main one is the Richard and Linda thing. I, a lot of people think that when after they have the ritualistic sex and he wakes mm-hmm. up the next morning, that that note on the table was actually left for him by Diane and that she is calling him Richard and that she is now Linda. I don't think that's the case. I, I think Lynch has almost in a way hinted that this isn't true because there's an interview. Every time they bring it up to Lynch where they say, so, uh, you know, there's actually four Kyle McLaughlins because, you know, we have our Dale Cooper, our Dougie and our evil Coop. But now, you know, we have this Richard. Uh, what can you tell us about this? <laughs> and David Lynch will literally just look at the guy and says, I think you need to watch that scene again. <laughs> so, 
he he uh, he I think laid this to, to rest a lot where it's not that he is now Richard and that Diane is now Linda. It's that the clues for the giant are finally coming into play. The mm. clue was a love letter left on a nightstand table. The love letter ne- not necessarily written for Cooper. It's written for a guy named Richard from a girl named Linda. And I don't think that that was to call Kyle McLaughlin or or Cooper in that moment is now this Richard character. He's still Cooper. He's just Cooper having not gone to Twin Peaks now. That's why he's so peculiar. Like he the the retconning uh, really distorted everything about him. So he's still Dale Cooper. He's just not a he's not the same Dale Cooper because he didn't have the same experiences. Gotcha. And uh, I just kind of liked looking at that that letter on the nightstand table as more of a clue, as more of a reminder left by the giant uh, to to keep Cooper on track so that he can you know do his duty mission. So that that that's that's the main one. Another one that I thought was really interesting because people were trying to say like they're different characters because um, Mark Frost finally answered this. There's like scenes in like the Black Lodge near the end where we see Cooper wearing his pin right. on his on his FBI pin. And then there's scenes where he's not. And people are theorizing, oh, no, this is proof of different timelines and realities. And and Mark Frost, I'm so glad he finally came on Twitter. He's like, no, that was actually just a mistake. Oh. Our bad. <laughs> like, 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 like one little mistake like on like someone's outfit and people are going to be theorizing. That's what I love about the Twin Peaks fandom. Right, right. But, well, yeah, but, um, I mean, I know. Notice that too. Like the very first scene with Cooper when he's talking with the fireman, he doesn't have his pin on. So, yeah, people were, you know, speculating that, oh, that means that that scene happened in a different time than, you know, the other scenes because he doesn't have his pin on. But yeah, yeah, I'm glad to know that it was just a mistake. Yeah, I, I, that's why I'm so glad that Mark Frost did an AMA because for the longest time we have been asking questions about this new season. And the first AMA that we got was from Sabrina Sutherland. And, you know, bless her heart, she's a Showtime exec who helped make this whole season a reality. But she's not really the creative front runner on this at all. So most of the questions that were asked, she was just like, thanks for your involvement in, you know, this this uh, the fandom here. We love you guys. Sorry, we can't answer this question. We just want to keep the mystery alive. Next right. question. And then like every question was just like, 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 you know, like, uh, you know, like, what color is Dougie's suit? I'm sorry. We just want to keep the mystery alive. Like, right. You're going to ask, like, a really dumb question. She'll still say that. So, like, I, oh I felt gosh. like that AMA was almost a waste of time. But yeah, when seriously. Mark Frost actually did his AMA, he straight up answered questions. He wasn't afraid. He, he gave answers to things. He even, like, theorized himself a little bit. Like, hmm, yeah, I guess I could see Bobby doing that. You know, like, he would he would play with it. Like, and I like that. And, like, that's coming from the man who created the show himself. Like, I'm sure Sabrina Sutherland was afraid to answer any creative things because she's afraid that, like, it would go against what the creators of the show themselves would think. Right. But then when the creator of the show himself walks up, he goes like, yeah, I guess that's true. I guess that can make sense. <laughs> get, like, he's messing with fans sometimes. Right, but th- right. We did, we did get a lot of, like, concrete answers out of that. Like, Becky didn't die. There was no uh, weird significance to pin on Cooper's jacket. I think there was a few others that he answered. But, yeah, also... Also, the final dossier came out. I still haven't read right. it. I haven't read but, it either. I yeah. definitely need to. Yeah, it's that. I feel like that also definitely answered a lot of a lot of questions about this season as well. Sure. But, so um, at the very yeah. end, when when they get to Twin Peaks and they go to the house and they find out that Laura's mom. Sarah doesn't live there anymore or never lived there, actually. Um, And then you have this this thing where they're trying to figure out what's going on. Cooper asks what year it is. And then Laura seems to remember something, realize something. You should play that scene again. When what she actually does is she hears her mother. Yes. You hear mom going, Laura. And it's actually the same soundbite from the first episode when she's calling upstairs for her. Oh, really? That's interesting. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting uh, sound things going on. I actually have a really cool one, but I'll let you continue this before we get off the topic of the ending. Okay. She hears her mother's voice and then she screams and that's the end. Uh, other than like all the, the lights inside this house burst and everything goes to darkness. Right. So so the theory of the article is that that's basically the bomb exploding and everybody dies. Yeah. So I'm personally not not fond of the everybody dies part, but what do you think? I like the theory. I like the idea of the whole of this whole thing, the Dave Arbach analysis. Mm-hmm. I love every bit of it. But there, are, there is something to that that I'll, I'll, I agree with you on. I don't want to believe that that's the end. That they just brought her to a thing and it blows up, and and this weird distorted reality that Judy was creating is no longer there anymore. And I, I, I want to believe. I'm more. I'm, I mean, I like. I like that you your your idea. But I actually, you know, ne- like after having just said all this out loud, uh-huh. I want to believe that it's not that it was a bomb going off and everybody died. 
it's that it was like a in a way a bomb going off, but it was almost like a bomb in a dream, hmm. you know. Yeah. So I like the whole thing of Twin Peaks is dreams. So I I almost imagine the very next scene if David Lynch were to quite actually like make a fourth season that starts where this episode ends would probably be with someone waking up. I want I almost want it to be Cooper. I want Cooper to wake up and he didn't retcon the whole show and it's actually uh it'd be interesting to see where where he would be in a season 4. Right. So I you know it it it's it, I think it all checks out. I think a dream cuz like I I growing up as a you know as a child I'd have a lot of nightmares and it would almost always end with me screaming in the nightmare mm-hmm. and then waking up. Right. So it felt very nightmarish and I I could I could definitely see it just all being a dream. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. I, uh, I I was mentioned earlier. Do you want to hear a really neat audio tidbit that I found in the show that uh, is really cool? I didn't actually. I mean, like I noticed it, but I didn't really do all the work. There's this such an incredible twin. I have to give a shout out just to, to the Twin Peaks subreddit. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible community of people that go out of their ways to like uncover these things and come up with interesting theories. Uh, this incredible guy, he got the 5.1 surround sound mix of the third season, so he can go in and solo audio channels and and listen to stuff. So do you remember in the third? I think it was the third or fourth episode, or maybe. Maybe it was even the second, but it was one of the first few. Evil Coop is on the phone with what is presumably Philip Jeffries. Yes. And then he he kind of like says like, this isn't Jeffries. Who is this? Who are you? Mm-hmm. What did you do with Philip? So the person went in and got that creepy kind of voice coming off of the uh, the answering machine or, you know, whatever pro, uh, thing, you know, like the, the speakerphone. Uh, the speaker, the yeah. speakerphone, exactly. So, you know, like that kind of like that creepy voice doing the thing. <laughs> so, like, it, uh, someone was able to solo that and take out all the background noise and with a few adjustments, like only pitching it down like a semitone, uh-huh. you can clearly hear, and I think it's very accurate. This is Sarah Palmer's voice. Yes. It's the actress who plays her. And I'm thinking that's because it's Judy possessing Sarah Palmer, leading evil Cooper on, because this theory checks out as Cooper is going between um, going to the White Lodge. He gets he I think he's trying to find Jeffries and in turn find Judy because like that's kind of who uh, who Jeffries was sort of leading him to. And evil Cooper winds up getting intercepted by the giant and put in front of the sheriff department. Right. So there, the, I, the the fact that Judy has been the one messing with him the whole time definitely makes sense, and that theory, that that soundbite, really proves it, and it's really chilling to listen to. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I I had heard that theory because uh, the voice says, you know, Bob will be with me again, which yes. is something that Jeffries wouldn't necessarily say. And then uh, right before when the evil coop is driving in the night, you have that song. Uh, I think it's called American Woman. Uh, American Woman, the David Lynch remix, which he just slowed down the original. Slowed it all the way down. Yeah. And so you have these female voices that are now very deep and kind of masculine. Um, so there yeah. are people who are speculating that that was kind of a little bit of a hint as to what exactly was going on with that voice. So, right. yeah. So it's great to hear that when you actually work with the, the sound itself, that it, it, it sounds like her. That's great. Yeah. It sounds like Lynch was expecting someone to play the episode at two times speed so that everyone's a chipmunk. And then- <laughs> And then when you get to the Philip Jeffries phone call, it sounds normal. And then his songs, remit, the remix sounds normal. Right, right. I, I, that, yeah, it is such an interesting theory. And I love that Lynch puts these little audio tidbits in there, these, these audio Easter eggs. It's true. Yeah. Well, we've been talking, we've been for, talking for a while. An hour and 19 <laughs> minutes. <laughs> yeah. So we should probably uh, close it up. I want to say thank you very much for being my very first guest on this podcast. Of course, anytime. Thank you for having me. Of course. And if... Somewhere down the line, there's a a, uh, a season four, and yeah. we uh, and this podcast is still going at that point. Then <laughs> I would definitely love to to have you on again to talk about that. I would I would love to be on. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to the Hopeless Fancast. You can follow us on Twitter at Hopeless Fancast, on our Facebook page The Hopeless Fancast, and find all of our episodes on hopelessfancast.com. If you enjoy our show, please consider becoming a patron. Go to patreon.com slash thehopelessfancast to find out more. Thank you, and we'll see you soon.